I like to think that we all have a handful of people in our lives that inspire us, lift us up, and help shift our mindsets, whether we know them personally or not. They make us think, reflect, and dream. Nowadays, with social media, there could be a variety of accounts that we follow that give us that shift or sense of adventure, inspiration, even if they're simply a collection of quotes, videos, or personal stories. Now more than ever, so many of us are craving real human connection and love hearing how other people are working through their battles. Welcome to The Safe Haven, a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life. A few weeks ago, I reached out to Mark Harrison, someone I feel like I know very well through many mutual friends from when we were at Nipissing University and from following his incredible stories over the last few years on Instagram. This lively conversation and sharing of personal stories and values starts with something very relevant to what's happening in the world today. I would love for you to share the fact and the story that goes with coming back from Colombia. Okay. So a quick spoiler alert is I got COVID-19 when I came back from Colombia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there it is. Punchlines delivered. And this is how it happened. So I was a, I was in Canada at the beginning of the year and I was getting prepped to head overseas for the majority of the year because I spent around eight to 10 months of the year overseas and working as a travel videographer. So most of my work is overseas, so it makes no sense for me to come back and forth to Canada. I just work and live in the places that I go to. So my next place was Colombia, and I spent three to four weeks there. And I was planning on staying in Medellin, one of the more international cities there. I was planning on spending at least a month and kind of just laying low there, editing, doing some work, resting, because we'd been bouncing around for three weeks. And then I was going to go on a trip March 20th with my dad, actually, to Peru. But then all of the, I don't know, all of the warnings started coming out in Canada, encouraged people to come home. And so the, the client that was going to send my dad and I to Peru, they canceled. And I was sort of on the fence. I had this apartment in Colombia and I was like, oh, I could stay here and just ride it out. And then day to day, as you guys I'm sure remember, it was just like new information, new information. Mm-hmm, it was just like mm-hmm. crazy. Everything was changing so fast. Yeah. And we'd find stuff out. So when Canada, I guess, issued the sort of warning to say everybody should get home while commercial flights are available, then I was sort of like, how long is this thing going to go? And my Columbia visa is going to run out in two months. And I don't want to be here during the summer. And I don't want to be here forever. So, or however long this thing lasts. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go home. So I booked a flight and it was a full day of travel, laid over in another Colombian city and then Atlanta. In Canada, but during that flight, it was it was crazy. Like the flight was entirely packed full, and when I got to Atlanta, it was for the layover. Atlanta was like didn't even they. I don't even think they knew. <laughs> it felt yeah. like they didn't know what coronavirus was even right. on. Like there were buskers playing guitar in the airport. The, the restaurants were open. The bars were open. Nothing was. There was no people wearing masks. There was no. Oh gosh! Like a lot of airports, they have X'd off seats in between, so you kind of have one seat spaced in between. Yeah. No spacing. Every like it was as normal. You know, people come back from Mexico and having their holidays. So r- crazy amounts of exposure, and the flights, of course, were full. So I was sitting beside everyone was sitting jammed together, and the the service, the airplane service, was 
fully on. So they're passing around food and everybody's touching everything. So I'm pretty sure I contracted something that day mm -hmm. because when I got to Canada, I wanted to remain super strict and do my 14 day quarantine. And I knew that I was going to be in my parents' basement. So I was like, I need to be ultra, ultra careful mm -hmm. during this time. I don't want to pass anything to them. So we had a separate entrance to the basement and on day seven, I woke up on day seven of my quarantine, the virus had incubated for, I guess, six and a half days since then, or on day seven, I woke up and started feeling like all the symptoms right away. So that's how it began. Yeah. <laughs> what was your first line of symptoms? What were you starting to experience? Or did you think kind of like day six, you're like, I got this, like, I'm good to go. Totally. Yeah. You know, it was actually a little bit, it was wild. So day six, I was, yeah, we we're getting, I was getting, starting to get a little bit lax the days of cold, like mm -hmm. not, sl not physically, but in my mind, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's good. Beat it. The average is 5.5, I guess. Yeah. They say like five to 10, it's the average, but most people experience it at day 5.5. So I was like, Ooh, I beat the average. Mm -hmm. Like I'm good. And that night I actually <laughs> was pretty hungry and it was late. My parents were in bed <laughs> and I snuck upstairs. <laughs> I know. And I got a bag of chips. I mean, I brought my like sanitizer and everything with me and yeah. I like tiptoed and I cleaned everything. I touched, I didn't like touch anything but one handle, but I was like, Oh yeah, I'm confident. And then I <laughs> grabbed a bag of chips <laughs> and sure enough, the next morning, yeah. Got hit with like a super, well, what felt like a strong fever. Yeah. Um, headache, a little bit of sore throat, but it was mostly just so fatigued and my body was really achy. Wow. And so obviously now that you're on the other side of it, your parents never experienced anything? No, no. Oh, it was all good. Yeah. Yeah. And then did. I went that next more or the, that was the day that I felt sick. I decided the following day I called public health and they recommended I come in since I'd been out of the country. That's like the ticket to get, you're good to get tested. Mm -hmm. And once I got tested, or I guess once I realized I was sick, we went like super, well, we've been strict the whole time, I guess, like with my parents, but they, we've been wearing masks. I told them the moment I came to the house, I was like, pretend I have it. Yeah, exactly. Like, and that's I the mentality it. shift. Absolutely. I love yeah. that. I posted that so many times. It was like, like, shift your mentality to imagine that you have it. Yeah. You know, and then exactly. you don't want to spread it. Absolutely. Good for you. And I realized, <laughs> I was like, I am the primary candidate. Travelers, mm -hmm. people with like international exposure, they are the people who get it. So I was like, I won't be surprised if I get this. I'm going to assume that I will get it. Yeah. And I mean, I would guess I was a little bit surprised, but at the same time, I was like, okay, well, the price I pay. <laughs> yeah, so, right. So yeah. what were the worst couple days like and how long did it go for? <clears throat> Probably the worst couple of days were probably two and three, mm -hmm. just super, super fatigued mm -hmm. and really achy, like just tired of lying in bed, like couldn't ever get comfortable. Those are the worst days. I never did regress to a cough, like to a bad cough. Right. Okay. I had a subtle cough at the end, but nothing too, too bad. Day five, I started to get better. And I was like, yes, I'm going to beat this thing early because my physician, when I got tested, said it lasts around 10 to 14 days. Mm hmm and then what happens is it, I apparently found out this happens to a lot of people is you get worse again. Mm -hmm, so I, right. day five, started to feel better. Day six, rest. And the, the fatigue and achiness was super Ooh. bad. I just slept all day, every mm -hmm. day, like the whole, this whole time. Hey, so for listeners as well, and you, you have a, a YouTube channel and I did watch your video that you had put together about it and you have little video clips within and you did take a selfie video getting the swab test <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh that is extreme yeah that i was so unmotivated to film i was like yes if i get sick i'll just document this people would appreciate that i mean as you can imagine you're 
when you're tired, you just do not feel like filming yeah. anything. Mm-hmm. But I guess the while going out in the car and driving myself to get tested, I was like, all right, I have enough action to feel like I can document a bit of it. And then when I was getting that swab, I swear they stuck that thing six inches into my brain. Like, yeah, it was I, so deep. It literally disappears. Like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that Q-tip, I'm like, that Q-tip is one foot long. What do you need that length for? Oh, my gosh. Well, that's it. It's yeah. because they stick it as far back, like, basically into your sinuses as they can. Yeah. Ugh, I know. Bizarre. Yeah. And then you had to wait for the test. I mean, that waiting period even, too, when you're quite sure that you've got it. Right. And then. That was a yeah. whole story on its own. Yeah. Like, so I've been hearing and reading a plenty of stories that people were waiting a long time. The system was really backed up. So mm-hmm. I prepared. The physician said four days. Like I got tested on Saturday. If, I, if you don't hear back by Wednesday, which you should hear back by Wednesday, we'll call you. If you don't hear back, call us. So I waited till Wednesday, called. And this kind of process of receiving no response, they would just say, oh, sorry, not yet. Wait for us to call you. That kind of just carried on for days, even until I started to feel better. So day nine, day 10, I started to feel better. And I had heard, I just hadn't heard anything back. And by day 10, I, that's when I sort of mentally broke Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. it had been 10 days of no exercise, very little natural sunlight. Eating was irregular. Sleeping was not, it was good. Like it was, I slept a lot, but it wasn't fully like deep and wasn't restful. Mm -hmm, And, mm -hmm. and the worst part of it all was just the negative media. So I wasn't controlling the media I was ingesting. I was like nonstop Netflix. It was bad coronavirus uh, media. And there just was no good input. It was all negative input. So day 10, I, I like reached my mental threshold mm-hmm. of no exercise, no light, light, nothing. And I really was, I the first time I've ever experienced like a truly mental despair almost. Like it's mm-hmm. a bit, sounds a bit dramatic, but it was yeah. pretty dark. Yeah. And, and the worst part of it was just not knowing if I was sick or not. Cause right. they just wouldn't, they wouldn't tell me this. Like they wouldn't, call back and wouldn't get back to me. So all of these unknowns and that would just kind of really affected me. And I ended up just spending that whole day. I just had no screens that day, zero screens and spending the whole day outside mm-hmm. and under the sun. And luckily it was a sunny day. So it was good. And I just like detached everything. And yeah, was, I was more or less okay the next day, but yeah, took some um, pattern changes after that. Like I was a bit more careful with my my routine. Mm-hmm. And I think the lack of human contact that you that you have, I mean, any other time you have some sort of sickness, you can have someone, you know, bring you soup and rub your forehead mm. and do things like that. And you're actually completely alone. Mm, That's totally. hard to go through. It is. And you raise a great point. And I think that was subconsciously the ticket as well is I was this person with leprosy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like even my, my parents came, they would only... Wow go to the top of the stairs but right. anything that I would touch like my dishes yeah it was like their masks and gloves on like I was this person like and yeah. I didn't ever in the moment be like oh yeah that's like I'm never negatively affected by that I'm not because I wanted them to do that mm-hmm. but I guess subconsciously it started to like take a toll on me like yeah. I'm this infectious person mm-hmm. and I, I I think that might have yeah taken a negative effect yeah, for sure. When did you mentally start to come back around? And what other strategies did you take to make sure that you were looking after your mental health? So that full day that I was like, no screens and all day under the, like in the sun. Mm-hmm. And I did a lot of meditating and just listening to good music and stuff. The next morning, because I was physically, that was day 10, physically like 90% there. Mm-hmm. So the next morning, like I woke up early and I exercised and I went outside in the morning 
I made sure everything was in my control. So I allowed nothing to surprise me. So like what how, a lot of people will recommend, you know, the first thing you do when you wake up is you don't look at your phone because those inputs, you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, so if it's perhaps negative, then all, all of a sudden the first thing you ingested that day was something negative. Right. So I made sure that everything I started the day with until noon was something that I could control. So I knew what was going in. And then later in the day, sure, I could check email and maybe look at some news, but I don't, I didn't look at news for at least like two, three days after. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just controlled, basically controlled what I could control. That's a, that's a fabulous strategy. I think for mm-hmm. anything as well, being able to be in control of your morning to set up your day. I heard mm-hmm. this, this is ages ago now, and it's really kind of framed my mornings is if you wake up and without even getting out of bed, if you can bring an awareness to the first 10 thoughts that come to your mind, they're often what are the 10 thoughts that consume your day. Right. So nice. if you can kind of have a bit of a control over how you start your day, absolutely. You're going to set up for success mm. for sure. Yeah. Well, you're on the other side and you are back in action. Well, I guess, <laughs> I guess right. you're not, Feels good. <laughs> I guess Feels you're not good, necessarily yeah. booking more flights or anything just yet, but <laughs> no. I mean, you can actually go up and visit mom and dad now, which must feel good. Yes. We integrated. That was a very special, I bet that was a very special uh, moment yeah. when I get to hug my mom after like, it was, I think, 22 days of no human contact whatsoever. Yeah. So that was really great. Did you find, too, like, I, I can imagine so much emotion in that, but did you even mm. find that you were still a little bit cautious in that moment or that they were? We, I talked to, I called a few of my friends who were doctors, mm-hmm. and we were slightly, but just through, through um, like, jerk reaction, we were because mm-hmm. we I had yeah. been so, don't touch, don't touch. Yeah. And then when we had dinner that night, it was like, oh, wait, let's not share the same, you know, yeah. let's not share the same food. Like, yeah. let's make sure we space it out. So it was like all these practices that we weren't really sure about. Yeah. Like, but yeah. no, the hug, I was, I was present during the hug. But yeah, I, yeah. I know what you mean. We were still. For sure. Every so often I would like walk by and they'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And mm-hmm. they'd be like, oh yeah, you're good now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's so true. Because we've even yeah. joked around here about when you're watching a TV show or you're watching a movie or something like that and people are hugging or they're handshaking right when they meet which is <laughs> so normal but now it's not it's like don't do that like you know you don't, don't know. shake hands right and so this yeah. is unfortunately I guess unfortunately fortunately being so uh. deeply rooted into our subconscious minds right yeah. that you just oh, feel yeah. that the heebie-jeebies when you watch people handshake <laughs> which is like wait a second you know that's right oh gosh well I would love to switch gears as well because you have quite an incredible story. I mean, to have gone through university, wasn't the goal originally to be a phys ed teacher? Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, for the for the Newfies program at Nipissing. And yeah. then take it from there because, I mean, now you are traveling the world as a videographer and photographer, and that is incredible. <laughs> so go for it. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, I studied phys ed, and then after university, I – always wanted to travel. So I traveled for a year post-university. And I also did my teacher's college after. So I did six mm-hmm. years at NIP, believe it or not, because I did a general first year, NIPSing at our university. And then, yeah, so I traveled for a year, kind of got the bug, and I was like, how can I continue to do this? I need a way to continue to do this. And the answer right away was teaching overseas. And I was like, yes, I can work and live in somewhere overseas. This is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. And weirdly, the first place I ended up going was the infamous Wuhan, China. Oh, <laughs> comes back. <laughs> Everybody full knows it now. When I initially went, people were like, "Well, where are you going?" Yeah, exactly. Never heard and, of that place, and now everyone knows it. <laughs> That's right. So yeah, I lived there for a year, and I ended up was like, "Yeah, I'll do a year in China." And 
the opportunities just kept, kept getting better. And I met some really, really great people, moved to Shanghai my second year. And then after two years, I was like, yeah, all right, this is good. I'm done. And then I got offered a vice principalship at a different school in the south of uh, China. They're all Canadian international schools. So I accepted the vice principal role. It was at 28. And I was like, yeah, it's a great opportunity. I should capitalize on this. And then after that year, I got offered a vice principalship at a school of 1,200 students and two other supporting principals. So I was like, this is like a real, it felt like a real one because the other one mm -hmm. I was just at a school with like 100 kids and it was a very small process. But this one was like, ah, it's awesome and natural promotions and everything. But af after I paid off my student debts and my traveling debts and kind of got sort of a little bit of financial security, I was like, okay, I'm ready to like if this living overseas was really great and it was a great understanding Asian culture and Chinese culture. I loved it. Got to speak some Chinese. It was super incredible. But I was like, this is not traveling the way I would truly want to. And I, I just love the idea of learning about many cultures and, mm -hmm. and going about and traveling many different parts of the world. So during my last year of my VP role, I would, I kind of switched gears. I wasn't really social in a traditional sense, like I wouldn't go to the restaurants and bars like I did before. It was, I would just go and shoot photography in Shanghai and urban photography on the weekend, but every single weekend. Like I just, I just loved it so much. And I just shot photos every end of adventuring every single weekend. And then at the end of it, I was like, okay, I'm ready. I was kind of posting the socials during the same time and sort of building uh, my portfolio and I guess modern day portfolio, which would be <laughs> at the time Instagram. And yeah posting a little bit to YouTube and sort of developing a presence. And, and at that year I was like, okay, I'm ready to take the leap. And, and that was June, 2017 took the, took the leap of faith. And mm -hmm. then it's been going great ever since. I have to ask, this just came to my brain. How many countries have you visited? I, it's in the sixties. Yeah. Mid sixties. I think I'm not sure exactly. And do you have a favorite yeah. place yet? I kind of categorize favorite places, yeah. but for experience, like the craziest backpacking experience of my life would be India. Mm -hmm. That was w absolutely wild. And then for just like real, true, raw nature and beauty, it's like a tie between New Zealand and Iceland. So oh, yeah, wow. those are my... Yeah. yeah. Did you find financially at first to have taken a job as a VP and be like, this has been great. I've got to try something new. I'm chasing my passions in photography and videography. Did you feel like that was very much that leap of faith where it's like, okay, universe, catch me, I'm jumping? Sort of. But at the same time, I wasn't a huge sink or swim moment because I set myself up mm -hmm. for it. So yes, I was getting paid quite nicely as a VP. Yeah. And I was preparing myself mentally to not make a dollar in my first year of doing mm -hmm. or not make a dollar profit. Like I was like, if I break even or even lose, I'm fine with that. Yeah. But what I did also is I recruited teachers. So I accepted a job that I could do completely nomadically that is a completely separate from photography, videography. And I, I really thought that was important because I never wanted to get into photo video and, and accept jobs that I didn't necessarily want mm -hmm. because of money. Mm -hmm. So I had supplementary income during travels that I didn't really like. I don't enjoy per se recruiting teachers. Like it's just, it's just whatever. Like I, you talk to them, you interview them, you hire them or not. And it was just money. So having that separate from what I really loved, yeah, photo, video, meant I could accept the jobs that I truly, truly wanted. So mm -hmm. now, three years late, I guess it's almost three years now, coming up in June, is I have like lots of opportunity in online work and 
well, I guess at the moment, not so much in the travel industry, yeah. but when we do pick up again, yeah. I, mean, I had to cancel a lot of jobs, Yeah, but like tourism boards, tourism agencies, um, software companies, camera companies, it's, there's plenty of clients now, which I never would have thought it would have picked up so fast, but yeah, it's been really amazing. Mm-hmm. What are your favorite types of jobs to do? I think, I think tourism boards from a videography perspective Mm -hmm. because they set you up to promote the most beautiful parts of their country so they work for the tourism department and they're like we know all the best parts we're just going to take you there and you guys just shoot it and then create us a create a video for us yeah and that's that's a lot of fun because you don't have to like plan and plan where to stay and do all those things that take a lot of time right however there is a little less freedom i mean you just kind of go with what they want right usually great though yeah, I guess that would the, also set you up to see things in the future. Like if you really liked a spot and you felt like it was quite structured, you know, for a specific job that you could go back and explore it on your own terms. Exactly. Later. So Good what point. a cool way to yes. see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Indonesia was like that. We did a job with Indonesia and it's so big, so many islands. Mm-hmm. And they just chose like four places to go. And that sparked it. I was like, well, I definitely want to come back and do different spots and go different places. And I ended up staying after the trip a month in Bali. <laughs> oh, isn't so just, Bali incredible? So I only yeah. just went to Bali for the first time last August. I spent the month there and I was like, what nice. is this place? Oh my <laughs> I know, gosh. Right? <gasps> I know. Where'd you stay? Well, I stayed in Chengu. And so nice. fortunately, mega shout out to my friend Juliet, who I met on my yoga teacher training in Costa Rica. We clicked and she lives there. So it was nice. very much an open invite. And so I stayed right in Chengu, you know, a, a mm. literally a five minute walk from the beach, which was spectacular. That's right. Up the coast, I did um, up the coast a bit. And then I went into a wood for a bit. I didn't spend as much nice. time traveling as I wanted again, because I was by myself. And I kept thinking, you know, very much my time in Bali was a reset. And I yes. needed to just take it day by day. Um, there was just lots going on just in, in my life, in my brain, yeah. in my heart. So I thought this is just a month for me, but then I definitely did the islands. The Gillies? Yeah, the Gillies. Gillies. Or Nusas, the Gillies. Nice. I did the Gillies and the Nusas. Oh, nice. Yeah, and then it's, came back. But that's, that's totally the Bali experience. It, yeah. it is a reset, and that's exactly what I did. I've been traveling for like, and hard, like not hard traveling, like consistent, yeah. so no time to rest mm-hmm. and no time to like look after my health. Mm-hmm. So I was going, 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 flights, flights, flights. And then I got to Bali and I was like, to reset turn off like yes. got my own villa and or not my own villa like my own room mm-hmm. and didn't talk to anybody yeah just exercise eat well and it's just so easy to do it there it's so yes. amazing there agreed and well I guess now I'm sitting back thinking of how much more I appreciate and I value my travels now not being able to do so isn't it different oh Very my true. gosh I wanted to ask you have quite a busy packed life. And as you were saying, eight to 10 months of the year, you're traveling and you're abroad. So how do you maintain a sort of routine or structure within Mm. that? That's a great point. And it's been something that has taken a while to develop. Someone who loves routine, which I do. Mm -hmm. And I come from a very physically active background as I studied phys ed Mm -hmm. and I played soccer in, in university. And I just, and I always wanted to be doing sports and be active, Mm -hmm. a job that now requires me to sit in front of my computer a lot and also have irregular hours by constantly slipping through different time zones. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to develop a routine. But what I have learned in the first year was bad, like health wise, it was bad. Mm -hmm. Like I had, I gained a bit, not necessarily gained a bit of weight, but it was like, I gained kind of unhealthy structures and 
yeah, I just didn't feel good. I always mm-hmm. felt tired and mm-hmm. didn't feel good. So over the last year and a half, the structures that I sort of built into uh, my routine is I have like resistance bands and little things that I try and make sure I do a little bit of exercise, even if it's 20 minutes every day mm-hmm. and little routines with waking up, like don't stare at my phone immediately right away. Mm-hmm. And I, I do a lot of, I really listen to a lot of audiobooks, So yeah. that's the way I can kind of grow a little bit still while sitting on buses and, and planes and stuff. And eating, I try best to intermittent fast. So I'm not, because a lot of times when you go on these gigs with countries, they provide nice food and you're in hotels and the big breakfasts. But I've just learned to detach from always being like, wow, hotel breakfast, it's free. Yeah, got to eat, eat it. it. And yeah. you end up, yeah, and then you end up eating so much and you're so full. So I've, I've separated from that a bit and I just only eat two meals a day and, mm-hmm. and try to eat, just watch the volume. I don't necessarily watch... I mean, quality, yes, I try to eat quality, but it's more about like just eating less so that I don't feel like crap all the time. So that's sort of the big adjustments I've made. Great point. What are you currently reading or listening to? Currently listening to The Kite Runner and Never Split the Difference, the negotiating book. Okay. Heard of that one? No, I haven't, but I've definitely heard and read The Kite Runner twice and loved it. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. Awesome. Good one. But book I would recommend, uh, because I don't know if I recommend the negotiating book, because I'm almost done it. I, this one's controversial, but <laughs> I'm, I'm still going to recommend it anyways, okay. is Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life. Oh, yeah. Okay. Are you a Jordan Peterson fan? I know people are pretty polarized on him. It's like a yes or no. Actually, sure. to be, I'm going to be completely honest. That's in my Indigo checkout right now in my, oh, nice. my cart. I just haven't checked it out yet. Nice. It is. A lot of people don't like Jordan Peterson because he can come off as controversial mm-hmm. and they listen to like sound bites that are viral online and he can sometimes seem like a bit of a dickhead, but mm-hmm. the book is so empowering okay it's so empowering for men women couples yeah. married couples raising children like it is incredible book so that's okay. my big recommendation so, so i should definitely check out and oh, yes. okay. oh yes <laughs> okay oh yes okay good one <laughs> um and then i was also going to ask about the eating thing when you say intermittent fasting are you going just your morning so that you're just kind of doing more of like a window eating style or are you going like a day a week without eating no just 16 hours off eight hours right. on yeah okay. yeah so skip breakfast and i never and once you get into the routine i actually i'm not hungry anymore when mm-hmm. i wake up for, there's plenty of benefits to intermittent fasting where you get the benefits of like ketosis and organ yeah. um, cell regeneration, et cetera. But the main reason I did it was just, just to limit my intake because as your metabolism slows down as you age, like I'm 33 now. So mm-hmm. yeah, I can't eat what I, what I ate when I was 21 where I was just, I would just smash food all day and be mm-hmm. fine. I just simply need to consume less. Yeah. And that's a, kind of a trick to do it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Uh, I want to ask you about your fascination with getting to the top of buildings <laughs> because it is so cool and so scary at the same time <laughs> it's equally cool as it is dumb <laughs> okay so take us on that trip because it's something else sure sure so i guess it all started in 2016 when i was in shanghai and was looking for like I pr- always prefer shooting photography in nature and being in nature. But the reality was I was in the city of Shanghai, and I was like, "But I was like, you can still be adventurous and you can still explore in an urban environment." And at that time, um, urban adventuring and rooftoping, we'll call it, yep. was sort of a little bit big online. Like people were starting to get into it, and I was like, "Oh, I can do this." And what was so fun about it was just the process of getting to the top of a building because it's. 
like with a mountain, typically there's a trail and you mm-hmm. just take the trail and it's hard. Yes. And, and it's super stunning, but it's not much of an adventure in the fact that you don't know what's going to happen. It's pretty predictable. Mm-hmm. Whereas the rooftoping, it was like, how am I going to get past security? How am I going to get in the yeah. elevator if it requires a beeping card? How am I going to get like, how am I going to open the roof latch if there is a roof latch? So there's all these little unknowns. And then when you mm-hmm. do finally make it, it's it's really like exciting to finally make it on top of the roof and it's like an insane view yeah and sometimes you catch sunsets up there it's 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 pretty fun and in shanghai the the consequences were really really mild if you got caught they would just kind of escort you out mm-hmm. and that was it like no no fine no trespassing fine nothing so mm-hmm. they didn't mind the security didn't mind so much they just like oh you can't be here like and by the time you get to the bottom they're like your friend so yeah it was it was pretty fun though, and a great way to explore different ways to shoot photography and different ways to explore the city. So I, I, I've been, I didn't do it much after China, mm-hmm. but but yeah, it's is, a lot of fun. So if you go way many, back my Instagram, you see it. Yeah, which is it's so cool. I almost feel like you need to re-feature a few of these and stick them back True. in the top because it's just incredible. I've been actually re- I've been recycling some of that stuff on TikTok lately. Okay, and it's been it's been doing well. Just me running around on rooftops. <laughs> yeah, honestly. And did you ever did you ever have a close encounter like an oh my gosh that was too close almost fell down or see you later bye? No, not rooftop, not on roofs because they're built to stay standing. Like mm-hmm. they're built properly. But what happens is in nature, whereas you're on like near cliff edges and stuff like that, that's not built to be. You know, that was two plates colliding that ended up like that to give a mountain. So they're mm-hmm. crumbling and stuff. So in nature, yeah, I've had plenty of closer calls, mm-hmm. but nah. And with a built structure, it's kind of predictable where the edge is and you know it's not going to collapse. So No, I wouldn't even worry that. about that. It would almost just be like a, a mega gust of wind or something. I don't know, just getting too close to the edge. And maybe it's also the mm-hmm. angle of some of the, the shots that you've got that, I don't know. Weird. It is, weirdly, when I started... You would walk to the edge, your legs would start trembling, mm-hmm. you start shaking. But what you slowly realize the more you do it is a fear of heights is is trainable. You can train it out of you, actually. Mm-hmm. It's just a mental thing. You you can walk on a line on the ground, even in a windy day, and you're not gonna fall over. Mm-hmm. You will never mm-hmm. fall over. But all of a sudden you get to these heights and you're like, Oh my goodness, I'm gonna fall. And you get your mind starts getting carried away. So right. it's a really cool I one subtle thing that people don't get is the really cool meditative process for your mind because you get up there and you are so forced to be in the present moment. There yeah. is no thinking about, you know, what happened yesterday and that mm-hmm. bad thing that happened to your cousin or or what's going to happen tomorrow, where will I be? You are forced so deeply into the present and you're just enjoying it for a while. It's kind of therapeutic, weirdly mm-hmm. to say. It kind mm-hmm. of is. I've read a few books on that, actually, people encouraging others to go to a cliff edge and sit there mm-hmm. and notice what it does to your body yeah your heart rate rises you absorb everything mm-hmm. you get super present in the moment yeah it's a pretty cool um exercise and i'm definitely not one who's afraid of heights i think it's more of like for me it's like yeah throw me out of an airplane every day like let's do that mm, nice. and i loved the skydiving experience maybe just the fact that it's a little bit taboo as well. It's like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to be up there. You're not supposed to be Mm. where you are. And you're absolutely right though, too, is that anytime that you are up that high, you're typically at a window ledge or at a balcony where you can lean over and there's a barrier. Whereas when you're at the top of these buildings and you're sitting on the edges, 
there is no barrier. It's nothing. Right? And I think yeah. that that's maybe where it kind of plays with my brain when I see these images and I'm like, mm-hmm, the weak knees would be real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Sweaty palms kicking. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I know. Um, you've mentioned a couple of times just about being present and being aware. Do you have a mm-hmm. meditation practice or do you practice yoga? I do practice yoga probably once a week mm-hmm. at least. Mm-hmm. As for meditation practice, it's more – I practice it more when I feel like I, when I was teaching actually, or when I was in a leadership role, mm-hmm. the VP, I did it a lot more just because I would stress out cause I was managing people and I find it, I don't necessarily need to do it every day, but I feel like if my mind is not at all present or if I'm stuck on a, like a negative thought or a negative person or something that's been brought in my life, if I need to really reset, then I'll meditate. Mm-hmm. I haven't necessarily found I need to do it every day. Mm-hmm. So okay. not, a, not in a routine. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Obviously just traveling as well. You would be able to have established a sense of practice that you know what your body needs to reset in that moment. You sound very self-aware, very, very self-aware. <laughs> I find working, working out exercise running, actually running is very much a meditative process because you, you get into this rhythmic routine where you're just moving forward, but you're heart rate's elevated, tons of oxygen mm-hmm. is flowing around your body mm-hmm. and you're exerting yourself. Not And there's no kind of, too, not too many thoughts coming in and out, right? You're pretty present. So I lo- to, I've recently gained a, a love for running, weirdly. Mm-hmm. I have a couple more questions for you that are kind of more safe haven style. Sure. What are you most proud of? Ooh. <laughs> um, hmm. Most proud of it. It's so final. <laughs> it's so yeah, it sounds I know I like that I like that observation of that question actually it's um like I feel like there's categories like there's family pride like I'm so proud of my three siblings they all have three kids so I'm like a, a proud uncle mm-hmm. nine times mm-hmm. wow <laughs> so I'd like to say I'm probably the most proud of my nieces and nephews but and but I guess from like a business standpoint mm-hmm. or like career standpoint mm-hmm. I am proud of like the videos I make if mm-hmm. they can show off the beauty of a country like i made a, a video of sri lanka i'm pretty happy with that mm-hmm. made one of turkey it's proud of the showing off the beauty of a country i guess yeah mm-hmm. i love that what do you want to be known for mm. legacy question nice mm-hmm. oh yeah um it's a good point i am a mediator on the myers-briggs so oh, I INF- love the Myers-Briggs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Same. I, INFP. So I, one thing I notice is that from going from point A to point B, whatever that is. So if A is the beginning and point B is the goal, mm-hmm. it matters to me so much how I got there. Whereas some other different personality types think it doesn't really matter how we got there as long as the goal is accomplished Whereas I'm like, even if you've made your millions or if you've got to the top of the mountain or whatever the goal is, if people were hurt or offended or affected positively, whichever way they're during the way, that's to me, that's equally or more important than getting to the goal. It's like, it's how are people, how have you managed people? How have you affected people? And hopefully positively during your process that matters to me more than the goal. So what I when people often talk to me about goals, and they're like, "What do you? How do you feel about goals?" And I'm like, "Eh, I don't really use goals to to define myself. I talk about direction. Mm-hmm. I say I'm headed in that direction, and wherever it goes, it doesn't matter. But as long as I'm happy with the direction it's going, then that's sort of my 
um, viewpoint. Yeah. What a fabulous response to that. I've never had Mm. anything close to that because I was (laughs) my next kind of segue into that was actually going to be about goals is, is do you have some sort of a goal setting or a check in practice to see where you're at? So, so nice segue. Yeah. I know. And the answer is no, not at all. I'm goal adverse. What enabled me to put it into to words was that the minimalist podcast. Ever heard of them? I have not spent much time listening to that. In all honesty, they're this. yeah, they're one of like they're an earlier podcast. I listened to them while I was in education, mm-hmm. and they helped me a lot mm-hmm. learn how to become minimal and detach from my things, which yeah. was good because when I'm traveling, I have two bags, and that's all I own. Right. So I resonated a lot with them, and they talked a lot about goal setting, and I cause I was always so goal adverse. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, the best things that's happened to me in my life. I had no idea. I could never plan for that. Like becoming a vice principal, I had a friend who was a principal of a school who asked me, it's something I could never plan for. And if I did plan for something like this, I might've ended up in another direction. And I'm thinking now the countries I've been to or the opportunities or the emails I get, they're all surprises. And I love that. And Mm -hmm. that's the best thing about it. So I feel like if I head in a certain direction, good things will come versus if you end up focusing too hard on a goal, you might actually not take the best path because you might be like a number orientated or mm-hmm. or like output orientated or look you know what i mean so mm-hmm. and i'm not saying goal setting is bad for everybody it is great and it resonates with a lot of people mm-hmm. just not the way my mind works that's all yeah yeah oh you're good at this game i like interviewing <laughs> you you're fun <laughs> okay. okay if you had a message to share with the world right now what would it be Ooh, nice Oh, there's so many cliche quotes I could come up with, mm-hmm. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but I'll do it. I'm trying to do my best to avoid them. Um, I, it's, it's, this is a tough one because it, it works so much for me, but not necessarily people who might have dependents or houses or mortgages, but I, it's become aware to me, especially in this time with the crisis and the pandemic mm-hmm. is, is stress around money. Mm-hmm. And I know it's easier for people to say when they're more financially secure to say this, but, and if you have bills, it's not so easy to say it. I get it. And if you have kids to feed and et cetera, et cetera. However, is money comes and money goes and the stress and importance we put on money and over small raises and, and moving into like 60,000 to 80,000 to a hundred thousand to one twenty, the amount of emphasis and importance we place on money is crazy Mm -hmm. over happiness Mm -hmm. like i just what's become aware to me is yeah money's great and as i continue this career i'm making more and it's awesome but happiness if you don't enjoy the process or if you don't enjoy what you do what is the point of any of it what's the point of any of it if you don't love it and really you're a prime example i mean i know that you did say that you financially set yourself up to pull back from the vp role and really deep dive Mm -hmm. into video and photo but i really think that that is such a perfect way to chase joy. You know, what mm. fuels your soul and how mm. can you support yourself in doing so? But even I, for the people who are, are thinking like they want to jump into creative field and they're like, well, I don't want to be the starving artist. That's a legitimate concern. It's nowadays becoming, working in a creative field there has never been a time in the history of the world. Like it is insane. The, the opportunity there is for creativity due to the advent of anybody can produce. Anybody can be on social media. You can create a podcast. You can create a TikTok. You can create anything. Like mm-hmm. those kids who are just play with Play-Doh and upload to YouTube and they're getting 
crazy deals because it's just enjoyable to watch. It's a mm-hmm. version of entertainment and there's never been a better time to be in a creative field. So if anybody's listening and they're considering, oh, do I leave something that is is secure, financially secure, job security for something that's maybe not as secure, it's never been a better time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have one more for you. Mm-hmm. What's the best piece of advice that you have either been given or have given to others and have heard that it's the best advice you gave? Oof. It's a tough one. Mm-hmm. I oh here's one. And I don't know if I don't know if it's the best, but it it was good. I early on when I quit VP and I jumped into travel photo video, mm-hmm. I said to someone, you know, I'm leaving something that's really secure. Mm-hmm. And now I'm jumping into something that's potentially volatile. I don't know if YouTube's going to be, you know, around or I don't like, and that's the platform I publish on. And I don't know about this and I don't want this. And I was expressing all my unknowns. Mm -hmm. And he said to me, you know that your previous job isn't like as secure as you might think it is. And this job security that people keep talking about, it's a bit of an illusion. It's not necessarily so true. And I was like, I don't know what this guy's talking about. Like history says Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. secure. And, and I'm in this volatile field with a lot of unknowns and all of a sudden the virus rolls in mm-hmm. and everybody, and then like we have now had millions of job losses from jobs that were deemed once very secure. Yeah. And now my, me being working online, online world is flourishing. And I'm not saying that I knew this was coming. I didn't, or he didn't know it was coming. All of the piece of advice was, is we all live in an unsecure time. Everything is a gamble. Everything is a little less security than we think it is. And that's not to cause anxiety. All that point is making is if we're going to have a job, you might as well do something you love because no one has the security they think they do and might as well do what you love. Mm -hmm. Mark, thank you so, so much. I cannot stop smiling right now. This has been (laughs) such a fabulous conversation. I appreciate you and your time so much. And thank you, Amanda. It's, you're really good at what you do. You're really good at questioning and prodding and segueing and and allowing people to express themselves fully. So yeah, you're really, you're great at what you do. Oh, thank you. (laughs) If people are interested in following along on your life and on social media, where can they find you? Right. So I post on YouTube and that's just my name. So Mark Harrison, if you type in Mark Harrison, you follow me on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And then Instagram is more of just day-to-day life and images from travels. I mean, now images from quarantine. Yeah. But yeah, that's, and that's at Mark Harrison and then the number four. Okay. Incredible. That will be linked. I'm also going to link that for anyone listening. That's going to be linked in the podcast notes. So just scroll down to wherever you're listening to this podcast and you can click the links. Thank you again so much from the bottom of my heart for listening week after week as this podcast grows and gains momentum as things shift in this world I appreciate you more than I can express if you have found some joy and something to share at the dining room table tonight perhaps you can share this on your Instagram story tweet it out tell your friends And keep looking for this podcast on FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com because things are changing and things are shifting as I proceed and move in with the Frequency Podcast Network. Thank you and I will talk to you next week.